Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Wade Matthew continues our series on Lessons from Life Stories, looking at the life of Elizabeth. And now, here's Wade. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the uh, study of Elizabeth from Luke chapter 1. I want to welcome you all here this morning. Uh, it is good to be back, and I pray that your time uh, with me this morning will be beneficial. Now, many would say that my choice of opening slide is very grating, but there's not a shred of evidence to support that theory. Even my uh, comedic talent is a little bit grating as well. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you. As today is Valentine's Day, it is encouraging that we end our studies with a woman and her love for the author of all things love, our God. Today we examine the very brief biblical reference to Elizabeth, who contends with all the issues of being a woman in a time and a place and a position that challenges her in every possible manner, yet she rises above enough to be noticed by God. This specific piece of history is found only in the New Testament and only in chapter 1 of the book of Luke. Starting in verse 5, we read that there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before the God in the order of his division, According to uh, the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole of the multitude present were outside praying at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now we're going to examine three characteristics of Elizabeth that are more inferred than spoken, yet they fit mightily into God's eternal plan. And this is not just a story of steadfast love by Elizabeth, but it's also about the transition that occurs around that love. Let's look at the word transition. The first evidence of transition is God's creation of the world from non-existence into in the beginning. Man went from did not exist, not an atom or a microbe to indicate our eventual existence was coming. To be blunt, man was nothing until God breathed his creation into life in his presence. Not only was man transformed into existence, but in his image. This is the ultimate expression of love, that he would do such a thing for his creation. Now, man was immediately made holy and blameless in his sight, allowing relationships as companions and children of the Father entirely possible. It allowed man to walk in his presence. 
reflect upon that for just a moment. We go to Genesis 3-7 and it says, And they, that being Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves among the trees of the garden. They heard the sound of the Lord walking. How did they know it was God? They had a relationship with the creator of the world all to themselves. Who else could it be? What a sensation that must have been to play hide and seek with God hiding amongst the trees. How absolutely blessed man was at that time in history. And furthermore, in verse 10, Adam says, I heard your voice in the garden, O Lord. I wonder if that voice was soft, inquisitive, authoritative, compassionate. It was a time that man could ask God to wrap his arms around him and it would be real. This is not a virtual experience as it often seems sometimes in today's world. In essence, this is a time when man was blameless in God's sight, but it didn't take long until transition interceded. Man quickly lost his holiness, his righteousness, his blamelessness as he ate of the fruit God had directed him to avoid. In his presence, transitioned into separated from God. You can find that in Genesis 3, 22 to 24. The result was mankind struggling to exist and unsure of their purpose, a people of sin, living in the darkness, both physically and spiritually, a people separated from the Father. Now, this separation didn't sit well with God. And so in his time, transition came as he sought to focus man back to himself. Seeing the turmoil and the darkness mankind had brought upon themselves, knowing that their sin would keep them separated from his presence, God began what was possible for him, a transition back by judging those before him and then selecting one as a remnant to remain as a seed for the new beginning. Noah was that man who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis 6 verse 8. Now the transition continued at God to one who would be the earthly father to a new nation filled with his chosen people. That nation was Israel and that man Abram, later changed to Abraham by God himself. Genesis 12, 1 to 4. Now even the change in name is transitional and perhaps indicative of the new beginning, the fresh start, the transition that God was about to put in place for his purpose. There are many other transitional points in God's word as history unwinds. But what does this have to do with Elizabeth? Well, the story of Elizabeth and her love for the Lord is one of those life-changing transitions. Now, I said we would examine three characteristics of Elizabeth, and here's the first. Verse 6 says it all to me. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Now, blameless is not a new concept as we have seen in Adam and Eve. But it's certainly one that man, more often than not, ignores. Adam and Eve again. That period of time before the fall allowed Adam and Eve to experience God in a way that most never will, in his presence. It's certainly not a concept that was foreign to man. Here are a few of the many verses in God's word that reflect upon the importance and reward of being blameless before God. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Psalm 119.1. And in 15 verses 2 and 3 of Psalms, the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, and casts no slur on others. Proverbs 2.7 says that he holds success in store for the upright, 
He is a shield to those who walk blameless. And more specifically in Genesis 6, 9, he says of Noah, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. It's exactly for that reason that God spared Noah and his family to become a point of transition for a new mankind. This righteousness, blamelessness uh, issue is passive, and it comes apart from the law. A person is not righteous in God's eyes because of his choice or his commitments, his good works or his piety, his emotions or his intellect. Instead, his righteousness is because the Father chooses him from the foundation of the world. And you'll find that in Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. Being blameless, being righteous, sets one apart from the rest of the world. But it's something we gave up early in history as we transition to the dark. Being blameless is something that God wants us to aspire to. His son was blameless. It is a characteristic God finds pleasing, and he will take notice. It's not something that we can buy, but rather an attribute of one who lives for God. Man seems to have forgotten that. And so we return to Elizabeth and her husband, Zacharias, who are both from the priestly lineage of Aaron, and as such were raised in the worship, prayers, customs, reverence, teachings established under Jewish law, fully exposed to the feasts, the offerings, the sacrifices, the daily demands of Jewish life, both Elizabeth and Zacharias were raised Jewish through and through. Now, one would assume that those involved in this capacity would be righteous before God, being obedient to all his ordinances and commands. After all, this is the tribe of Levi, chosen by God to handle all things between God and man. But we also know that man rarely follows direction and authority as he should. In this case, Elizabeth, Luke says it is so, indicating that she displayed a righteous attitude towards God and his ordinances. Note also that it is a man, Luke, who observes it, but it is God who decides who is righteous, who is blameless. It is God who shows this characteristic of Elizabeth to be true through the way he uses her for his purpose and his will. She has not spoken a word to us yet to analyze, but worry not. God has noticed. This brings us to the second point, and that is in verse 7. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Now, barrenness is formed uh, from creating a dark cloud in a person's life. Uh, it certainly created a dark cloud in Elizabeth's life. In Jewish society, it was necessary for Elizabeth to give birth to a son in case of her husband's death, so that her son would provide for her and prevent her from becoming destitute in her old age. Children were also considered a sign of God's blessings and favor. Having no children was a sign that God had disfavored them, leading to social scorn and ridicule. When we met uh, Elizabeth in the Bible, she was advanced in age and well past childbearing years. Much like Sarah and Hannah of the Old Testament, she would have been severely subjected to denigration and gossip of other Jewish women. But Elizabeth appears to have been a loving, supportive wife to her husband. Since Zacharias chose not to divorce her, as was his choice, based on her inability to conceive. People would have whispered about her, ridiculed her, mistrusted her, and wondered what her secret sin was. It would appear she endured all this with much courage, humility, prayer, and love. How do we know this? Because had she reacted the opposite way, in a scornful, hateful way to the people around her, 
she would not be considered righteous and blameless, as Luke states. Now, that's our first observation, but I'd like us to broaden our scope and see a bigger picture uh, with regards to barrenness. By doing so, we're also going to reinforce the blameless, righteous attributes of Elizabeth in spite of her barrenness in extremely difficult times. Being barren implies a void, an inability to supply what is needed or act with proper aplomb. The inability to act with complete and confident composure or self-assurance to situations that arise. When something is void, it leaves room for additions. It also indicates a brokenness that leaves room for fixing. For example, a pot cannot produce a vine and fruit without all the ingredients in the pot. Therefore, there is a void that needs attention. You know, this is exactly what God does. He fixes the broken. He puts a plan in place to do just that. From the fall of Adam and Eve to this point in history, God has transitioned the situation so man could eventually become holy and righteous in his presence. Now, let's just go back two verses, okay, to where Luke says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. Elizabeth and her husband resided near the great temple of Jerusalem, and they were direct witnesses to the ongoing desecration of the temple by King Herod. King Herod was not a good king, certainly not to the Jews. Elizabeth saw firsthand the priestly corruption overriding the Jewish people's sacrificial offerings to God. She watched as her beloved Judaism was becoming more of a religion of man than a love for God. Now, Elizabeth was living in an age where there had not been a definitive prophecy from God in over 400 years. This is a picture of the people of Israel that have been played out over the centuries. It was a set of ordinances performed by the tribe of Levi as set out in the time of Abraham. Ordinances based upon sacrifice that were still being followed in Elizabeth's day. Elizabeth and her husband were intricately part of these ordinances. And yet in many ways, she, like the people around her, were barren. In fact, man has been barren since Adam sinned against God. Man's never been able to solve that issue since, and it caused many to turn away from the opportunity to be restored with a character to act with complete and confident composure to situations before them, to have the ability to be part of God's family as a whole, forever to be the black sheet of that family, a creature with imperfections and blemishes. Man has become increasingly contrary to the family attitudes of God, full of sin and never being able to fit in. Man has voided the ability to come into God's presence and share his grace in the way that he had intended. To this place in time, nothing has changed. Man, like Elizabeth, remains barren and broken. Man is separated from God. That hurts, and that hurts God. You know, it's not much different in this day and age. We've gone many, many centuries waiting for God to return, and many are disillusioned. And many have turned away, and we need to address that issue. We are barren and broken, just like Elizabeth, just like Adam. The darkness that they lived in so precariously through sin was only bearable as God allowed it to be. The ordinances in place were a reminder of man's inability to correct that situation and God's grace in allowing them some form of temporary repentance until he directed otherwise. But this is a transition point in God's plan and also in Elizabeth's life. She had choices to make at this crossroad. She could fall prey to the seduction of power and riches that this corruption by Herod afforded. She could become despondent with the childish situation that she found herself in. She could become tired of waiting and become disillusioned in the possibility of a coming Messiah. 
She could allow her faith to be diminished by the circumstances around her. She could remain barren. She could remain broken. Elizabeth's blameless attribute indicates an acknowledgement of the brokenness and the willingness to be fixed by keeping her faith and focusing on the only chance of repair, her God. He gives her that chance. But this is also a change, a transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. For mankind, it begins here. God wants to go from sacrifice that covers, that not only covers the wound temporarily like a bandage, with a cut that never heals to a sacrifice once and for all that will heal the hurt and take away the scars forever. He doesn't want to be separated from his children any longer. And so he begins his transition to a new covenant once and for all by sending a messenger to proclaim the time has come. Prophecy will be fulfilled. The man needs quickly to get his life in order and that the glory of God is about to be revealed. Now, that transition doesn't begin in chapter 2 of Luke, which speaks of the birth of Christ, but it begins here in chapter 1 with the help of Elizabeth and the son given to her by God. This brings us to the third characteristic. Elizabeth is blessed. So let's read 13 to 17. It says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Excuse me. Because of her righteousness in all situations, her blamelessness displayed for all to see, God planned on blessing Elizabeth as no man could. She would be blessed and be a blessing to the Lord. Let's just look at a few ways as how Elizabeth was blessed by God. First of all, verse 13, But the angel said to Zacharias, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. Elizabeth receives a child. God heard her prayers and those of Zacharias over the many years. Prayers of hope and prayers of faith and continued obedience in God to answer her cries. He knew of her blameless attitude and never-ending obedience to his commands. And because of this, she was special in God's eyes. He granted her a son, but not just any son. The child she will be given is the one prophesied in Isaiah. She did not lower herself to pagan worship, even though the coming appeared all but faded. She did not doubt the truth of God's word, but lived it as much as she believed it. Another point is in verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at the birth. Her shame will be removed. The stigma of no children will now be removed and replaced by joy and gladness. No longer will people question what her sin might have been. And what is the disfavor that she has with the Lord? But there will be joy and gladness in the rejoicing of this birth. She's also going to become part, a pivotal part of the plans of God. And verse 15 to 17 says that, For her son, he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. 
and he will turn away many of the children. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Pardon me. Her direct unwavering faith in the Lord has put her in a place where God can use her. This was the foundational being laid, foundation, pardon me, being laid for the establishment of a new covenant for God's people, made possible because the Lord saw favor in Elizabeth. And another point, verse 17. Her faith is justified. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. She knew about the prophecy in Isaiah. And she had prayed for this. She had stayed obedient to God through all those many, many years. And now she knew through what she had been told, what Zacharias had been told, that that prophecy would be fulfilled. And that there was not another way to do it. Romans eleven six says, there is no other way and there is nothing that we can add to our faith to obtain a right relationship with the Lord. She had been patient and the Lord would reward her. God's character, or pardon me, Elizabeth's godly character can be discerned equally from what the Bible doesn't say about her as much as what it does. Indelibly, Elizabeth becomes a critical figure that God has taken notice of. Now, he has done this before with uh, women that are barren, but Elizabeth, like Noah, maintained a holy fear, or in other words, a holy respect and reverence for the Lord. Like Noah, she chose not to associate with those things that weakened her faith or constrained her focus on the Lord. And so she would also become heir to the righteousness that was granted in keeping with her faith. As a lowly woman, she attains a respect that cannot be challenged as it comes from our Heavenly Father. A lack of specific information about her would imply a life that would go unnoticed to those around her and outside of her personal uh, circle. It was a life that was not unlike perhaps thousands of others in her day. Yet she was not obscure to God, as we shall see. She was blameless in the eyes of the Lord. Now, this righteousness, pardon me, is passive, and it comes apart from the law. The Bible says that no man is righteous in God's eyes because of his choice or commitment or good works or piety, his emotions or his intellect. Instead, he is righteous because the Lord chooses him from the foundation of the world. And I had quoted that to you earlier in Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. This is very, very important. Very, very important. But, you know, man is not quite ready for this. And so, as prophesied in Isaiah, a forerunner has to come to announce and prepare the people for the return of God's glory. You know, it's strange that we had the power over all creatures of the land, air and sea, as well as the fruits of all the plants except one. Quite simply, we were blessed at the beginning. But we became barren so, so quickly. And the road back to being blessed again is so difficult. It could be that the barrenness of man puts God's ability on display to do the unimaginable, to show that there are no limits to his power or his compassion. may also speak of mankind in general, in that all that are barren, unable to connect with the creator, unless he brings them back, unless we are redeemed. In other words, if one is barren, he or she is void of fruit. Without fruit, there is no regeneration. God and God alone provides the vine that we can be grafted to for precious fruit. Without it, we're simply a vine to be snapped, cut off, and burned. We are barren. We are broken. Isn't it strange that in Adam's day, fruit was not a luxury? It was unlimited and rarely available. If there was a transition here as well, that the fruit became something to be cherished and sought after, 
It was not always at hand. To produce good fruit is a result of our faith in God. James 2.17 says, So too faith by itself, if it does not result in action, is dead. Ephesians 2.10 says that God prepared our good works beforehand so that we could walk in them. All true good works are overseen by God. They're God-planned, they're God-empowered. He planned it all and willed that we would do those good works because we loved him. You know, there has not been one recorded word by Elizabeth in these first 17 verses, but there's enough to see that God saw something he liked in her. And while this story has been perhaps more about God than it has been about Elizabeth, you can see that she is pivotal in this story and that God is also showing that he can use anyone no matter how small, no matter how seemingly insignificant, to further his plan. He simply wants us to be with him, to work with him, to be obedient to him. Now, the story continues through the pregnancy of Elizabeth, including a visit by Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, who also becomes pregnant. Uh, and, it, and it goes on, and I'll leave that to you. Um, there is much interesting information in the last part of chapter 1. But I think this first part really sets the tone for what Elizabeth was all about. And by the end of the chapter, we hear no more about Elizabeth. But what what can we conclude from this story? Elizabeth was part of a transition which God made her a prominent figure in. It laid the foundation for the end of the Levitical priesthood that began at Mount Sinai through Moses and ended when Jesus Christ abolished the law of Moses on the cross. Colossians 2, 14 to 17, Hebrews 8, 6 to 7, uh, and verse 13, and chapter 4, 1 to 4. Many, many uh, situations where that is explained. The transition before us announced to the world through John the Baptist led to Jesus being appointed our hard priest today and forever after the Melchizedek priesthood. That's in Hebrews 5, 1 to 11. Elizabeth was part of that. Elizabeth provided John the Baptist, to do that. The transition here led to this very day where every Christian is a priest to God under Christ after the order of Melchizedek. Revelation 6, uh, 1, pardon me, verse 6 and 5, verse 10, and 1 Peter 2, 5. The transition here led to Elizabeth being used mightily by God, blessed and receiving rewards only he could give. Isn't that what we all want? We just want to be loved by God. We want to be able to come into his presence. And we want to live with him for eternity and to receive the grace, those rewards that he said he would give us. In closing, she finally is recorded speaking to Mary, pregnant with Jesus near the end of chapter 1. And that verse may indeed summarize the life of Elizabeth herself. Verse 45 says, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord. Elizabeth goes down as one who is revered as the most prominent woman in the Bible. She is a testament to living a godly life. A beautiful example of the woman that is described in Proverbs 31. An inspiration to all women, Jew and Gentile alike. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we do thank you for this study in Elizabeth. And it helps us to realize, Lord, that there is always hope that... uh, You never leave us, that you never forsake us, that you are always there. And you simply ask so many small things of us, and yet you can use us mightily. 
we think of the mustard seed, Lord, and how it can move mountains if it's allowed to do so. And Lord, we know that each and every one of us here can do mighty things in your presence if we only allow it. Lord, help us to be that vessel that you can shape, that you can mold, that you can fix, that is broken now, but can be healed. Help us to come into your light, into your presence, to leave the darkness behind, Lord. And help us to have the joy that is in life, knowing you. In all these things, Lord, we ask your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.